I had the, I would say, advantage of being raised in wisdom. I was really young, but because they were so old and my grandfather and I were really close, that I just got imparted with a lot of wisdom at a really young age. And so I never felt, I mean, I hate to say, but I never felt peer pressured. I never felt a sense of needing to belong. He instilled with me a sense of self and I was just really confident about where I came. I always knew I had an anchor. I had somewhere to be and somewhere to go. and so. I just didn't get phased by much. And in many ways, I feel like that is also just God's grace that allowed me to navigate that aspect of my life. There's no explanation for it other than literally just the grace and favor of God that I was able to kind of maneuver that. And so, yeah, I went into places and spaces like this is me. I just show up. Here I am. And, you know, I've always believed that I'm enough. I mean, I have insecurities, don't get me wrong, but in general, I take chances because what's the worst that can happen? If somebody said no, they would have said no if I didn't ask. So, you know, I'm in the same position I was in had I not asked. Elaine Mensa is no doubt one of my favorite people on the planet. For well over a decade, Elaine has established herself as one of the industry's go-to brand strategists and a stern advocate for bringing African fashion and luxury brands to the global stage. She created Showroom Etc. to do just that. As CEO, her company represents brands like my personal favorite, Christy Brown in Ghana, Pepper Row, and Pistis. And she also works with brands like L'Oreal, Netflix, Stars, and HBO, to name a few. When she's not behind the scenes, she's moderating conversations spanning from fashion and beauty to business and entrepreneurship. But what I love the most about Elaine is her openness, humility, and dedication to helping others. Check out our conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. She is. You look fabulous. Oh my God. I'm good. I am so good. And I'm just so honored that you're on the show. I am thrilled. Are you kidding? I'm the one that's honored. Stop like I it. made it to a fashion get moment. Out, you, you get out of here. Get out of here. I well, welcome to the show, Elaine. Thank you. Are you wearing one of your designers, by the way? You know, Ooh, I'm not. I mean, I'm wearing Mexico set. I know I'm saying it correct incorrectly. How do I say it? Max. Yeah, oh, wait, there's a wait, little can- click on his head. Oh, I never get girl. it right. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna keep trying. I'm gonna keep trying. No, the struggle <laughs> is real. <laughs> Yay! Well, I can't wait to delve into your illustrious life. Um, yes. Oh. Uh, so. I always love to start from the beginning. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? But also, you know, where did your love for fashion originate? Like, when did it begin? 
Yeah. So I am first generation American. I was born right here in Washington, D.C. Um, and but my parents are originally from Ghana. And so I was super blessed to have an opportunity to live in Ghana from I lived in Ghana from eight to 16. So I was there for eight years. Yeah. And I would come, you know, I'd come back to the States for um, like summer breaks and and stuff like that because my mom was here um but my dad moved back my dad used to work mm. at the smithsonian he was there for so chic i can't with you years, maybe more. yeah and so he yeah when he retired he decided he was going to move back because at that point he got appointed um at the african development bank in ivory coast and so decided he wanted us to to move back so i lived in oh, ivory wow. coast for two years Cote d'Ivoire. for eight years so i was yeah. on the continent yeah, for 10 years, which was phenomenal because it was, um, you know, the years that count yeah. 6 to 16, essentially. I would come here uh, for summer breaks because my mom was still living here, even though uh, my dad was over there. And so the great thing is I learned the language. I got to bond with my family on the continent. And, you know, it always allowed me to feel like I have mm. one foot on each side. And so I came back at 16 and wow. I came back to high school um to senior year of high school which is which has its own challenges but coming back you know with really just a year before I went to college I think it was a blessing in many ways because I didn't have I didn't I didn't have the need Mm. to build relationships in high school in my mind I'm only here for nine months really you know and I'm off to college and so um it was great. I mean, I went, um, I was here in Virginia, so I went to high school at T.C. Williams, um, and I, I was really fortunate that the um, the teachers that I had yeah. were really helpful and really instrumental in getting me comfortable with certain things. But what I also found um, a deep appreciation for was the education mm. system in Ghana, because I knew how hard we worked um, to be able to get certain things. And I went to a great school. I went to a private school, you know, and so it wasn't it wasn't for lack of, but the disparity was clear. Um, And I always used to find it so interesting that, you know, American kids Mm. hated school. I loved it. Um, I was like, give me a book, give me something to read. Well, I shouldn't say all American kids, but (laughs) yeah, specifically, um, it, at my high school, and I would just sit there and think, oh, well, my friends wow. really good to be here. Yeah. Like, I'm trying to understand, <laughs> you know, like we have free facilities and we have, um, you know, books. And, and again, I went to a really great school in Ghana. So it's not to say, you know, we didn't have or anything like that, but the disparity is what it is. And just understanding mm. the opportunity. And I think that really shaped for me my perspective on how I chose to live in America. Because at that point, um, I wasn't, for lack of a better term, really introduced to race. Like race for mm. me is an American construct. Not to say it doesn't, mm-hmm. I shouldn't say race, racism um, in the way we well, experience Well, girl, you grew up on the continent. I'm like, what I wouldn't give. I you know, mean. I mean, yeah, it just, it's one of those things where I didn't, my blackness yeah. was never in question, right? And so again, those are really pivotal years. The 60, mm. 16, that's identity years. And so I, I always... I find myself, I always say I'm, I was super blessed um, because I got to grow up where everybody was black and being black wasn't a thing. I mean, I didn't really truly understand the concept of being wow, black so until wild. I came back. And <laughs> even then, 
it took me a while to understand, like, if somebody says, oh, you're black, like, that meant something. For me, it's like, oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> Ignorance uh, is bliss, isn't it? But I learned quickly. Um, and I went to, and so I went to college at American University, which is a predominantly white institution. But it was phenomenal for me because it was how I was used to, you know, growing up. And I didn't, I didn't think much of it. Um, otherwise, it had a huge international population, yeah. which was great. And um, I got to meet a lot of people, which was uh, amazing. And uh, when I left, I went and got my master's at Georgetown. And I decided that I wanted to kind of be one and done. And when I was done with school, I was done with it. Um, but I, I genuinely was not one of those people who mm. always knew what I wanted to do. I, I, if anything, all I knew was that I wanted to wow. do interesting work and I wanted to be able um, to be creative. And, you know, this is what, 2001, 2002? Wow. A creative no. was not a word. <laughs> that was yeah. not a thing at that time. And so um, I didn't even know what that was or what that meant. I just knew that I wanted the ability to do different things all the time. And so I got I mean, into I got to pause for a second, though. <laughs> Your travels, you know just through throughout yes. the continent growing up there and then coming to the west like were there certain yes. like style adjustments that you made were were there some th certain things in your closet or just you know from the culture that you wanted to preserve and keep like was it sort of like a blend like how did that work yeah <laughs> Oh my goodness. That's actually a great question because in hindsight, I should have appreciated mm. um, culture more. No, we wow. were fully Western. Like we were all about, oh no, we wanted to. And like I said, I would come over the summer. So it's like you come and you get the flyest gear and like the new this and the new that. Like wow. we did all of that. Like me and my friends, we did oh, the compromise and we did, you know, hey, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we wow. did the filas and we were big on yep. the, you know, yep. the Versace's, if you will, uh -oh, with the little yes. chokers. Remember when chokers were a thing? We did the jelly shoes. Oh, we did it all. Oh, yeah. We did it all. The A line <laughs> Skirts. I remember when A-Lines came in and my cousin had one and she had an extra one and we were going to this like party and I had on this, I will never forget, it was white t-shirt oh, with yes. a smiley, a smiley face, face on it. the rage, I remember. Listen, with the A-Line denim skirt you, with boots and some socks. You had your booty <laughs> shot in the skirt. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Well, it wasn't, that, it wasn't that short, but it was short enough. <laughs> And I promise you, I we her. thought we were doing something. Like, it was everything. And I remember in high school, oh, so we wow. went to boarding school. So we started boarding school fairly early um, in Ghana. And, and on Sundays, you had to wear traditional clothing. And what we would do is we would take, because who knew, right? We would take the fabric and we would sew modern styles. Wow. So I remember like my my Sunday traditional was like this sleeveless shirt dress type. And, but you had to wear uh, what's called a slit. Oh it would be goodness. like a long Love. skirt. And so, but then I would put my slit in the back and not on the side because the side is the traditional way. But yeah. I put my slit on the back. Listen. And yeah, we used to, and we didn't know at the time, right? That we were really um modernizing the way we wear traditional dress all we knew is we didn't want to wear what our parents were wearing because to us that felt old right and so today when I see kind of that peplum shirt um yeah. with the poof sleeves 
we you you we you wow. can pay us to wear that back when we were kids. Oh no, like what? And, or when we did have to wear it, it was like oh my like God, weddings. I have to wear and this like, today. <laughs> we're formal Church, occasions. <laughs> for, like events, you know, things like that. And so slowly we started, we, we'd go, because everything for the most part on the continent, until fairly recently, and, and I'll specify Ghana because mm-hmm. that's where I lived most of my life. Um, it was um, wow. tailored. Like everything was custom, right? And so you don't go to a store to buy clothes. Love you go that. to a tailor to make you clothes. There's a tailor wow. or a seamstress. Similar to India in a way. Like, so, yes. Yes. Very much so. And so you get your fabric, you go to the tailor or the seamstress, you give them your style, you know, and they make it for you. So, yeah, that was really. And so when I moved back, it was an interesting transition because, believe it or not, I was very much a tomboy growing up. Like I, my mother, so my family is a fashion family. Like my mom went to millinery school. My aunt made wedding dresses. Like every, every woman in my family sews. Like my aunt's wedding, like everybody made stuff. They're big. Yeah. I mean, what they today would be described as like a lifestyle type family, right? From cooking to baking to, um, you know, designing clothes to hats to florals. My mom would make accessories. My cousin went into the accessories business um and then into the clothing business so it's like it's a family business I never like I remember my mom my mom bought me this little cute little Gucci purse when I was young <gasps> and I was like I didn't, wow. I didn't know what that was I didn't know what it was and it was the double G it was like yes. navy you know that navy and gray super classic a cute little one with a long strap and every time we would go out she'd say take your pocketbook I'm like oh. Wow. Do I have to carry this thing? Why? I hated wow. it. Hated it. I would, I didn't want to wear earrings. Um, I just I wanted to be comfortable. I hated and, and I think I went through cycles because my mom tells stories about me as a kid. I would only <laughs> wear a skirt, skirt and tights like, and dresses. And then I grew out of that. And so yeah, by the time I wow. came back, I was 16 years old. Um, in a in a new environment in many ways, and I just I just, I wanted to fit in, but at the same time, I was comfortable Mm. enough in my own skin where I was like, I just want to be comfortable. And that's really the way I still dress today. I like interesting things, but comfort is key. 100%. Yes. He said at all times. times. (laughs) So, so, you know, just really quickly about uh, just, you know, being comfortable in your own skin. Do you think that your time living in Ghana really helped with that? Yes, very much so. Very much so. I mean, I was fortunate. My gra- I lived with my grandparents. And so in many ways, Uh-oh. I was baby number 11. <laughs> I had 10 kids. I was baby number 11. But I was baby number 11 to like 60-year-olds. <laughs> right? My grandmother is 91. Wow. Um, now my grandfather passed uh, wow. yeah, 15 years ago, actually. Is today the 6th or the 5th? Wow. 15 years ago tomorrow. He passed on February 6th in 2006. Wow. Yeah. And um and so it's I had the I would say advantage of being yeah. raised in wisdom. 
I was really young, but because they were so old and my grandfather and I were really close, um, that I just got imparted with a lot of wisdom at a really young age. And so I never felt I mean, I hate to say, but I never felt peer pressured. I never felt a sense of needing to belong. I just, he, he instilled with me a sense of self and I was just really confident about where I came. I always knew I had an anchor. I had somewhere to be and somewhere to go. And so I just didn't get phased by much. And in many ways, I feel like that is also just God's grace um, that allowed me to navigate that aspect of my life. There's no explanation for it other than literally just the grace and favor of God that I was able to kind of maneuver that. And so, yeah, I went into places and spaces like this is me. I I just show up. Wow. Here I am. Um, And, you know, I've always believed that I'm enough. (laughs) I mean, I, I have insecurities, don't get me wrong, but in general, I'm a, I, I take chances because <laughs> what's the worst that can happen? I mean, if, if somebody said no, they would have said no if I sure. didn't ask. So, you know, I'm in the same position I was wow. in had I not asked. And so I that that's just my perspective. Um, and I kind of adopted that really early. And so I took chances. I, I remember when I was in college getting ready to graduate and I thought about, okay, what do I want for my future? I was always a strategic thinker. And so I would say, okay, I don't know exactly what I want to do, but what companies do I want to work for that would be really great on my resume? Because then I can leverage Um, my experience from Uh the business that I've been in, right? Or the companies that I've worked for. And so I always thought in those terms, um, just what makes the most sense and how can I navigate? And once I'm there, what can I learn to then take to the next place? So So many nuggets of wisdom there. So many nuggets. (laughs) Uh, There will be lots of show notes. So you... You, you're, you know, you graduate from college, like how did you end up transitioning into branding and, you know, fashion? And I mean, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to offend anyone, but I mean, you're like the queen of fashion in DC. I mean, you were advocating. Oh, no, that, that is a way, that's I a when, way. No, when way, I first moved, <laughs> let me tell y'all, like. Elaine was, she was doing all the, the, you know, all the fashion events. She was, you know, moderating. She was running the fashion group international DC. I mean, anything attached to fashion in DC, you were there. And then you also did the documentary, you know, the politics of fashion with the great Robin Givon and others, but it just, I mean, how, how did, how did all of that transpire? Yeah, you know, I, uh, in 2006, roughly, yeah, 2005, 2006, well, when I graduated college, I just jumped around mm. for about four years trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and in 05, yeah, this was 05, in 05, I remember telling my boyfriend mm. at the time, now husband, um, that consulting wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, but beyond that, I was like, I, I, I want to wow. live in color. I remember saying that, like, I want to wow. live in color, you know, um, the gray walls of my cube. And, um, it just, when I go to work every day, it just felt gray. 
And I remember just saying, I want to live in color. I don't know what that means. I don't know how that will happen. And at the time, I used to mm-hmm. love People Magazine. I still Girl, love listen, People. People Magazine and E-News. <laughs> Us Weekly. for me. Um, Quick hey, read. <laughs> all of it, right? And I remember I used to pour over them, not some, mm-hmm. not the gossip kind of celebrity news component, although I did enjoy that, but it was, I found that I gravitated towards what I call the business of fashion, right? Like colors and trends and who was doing what. And I just, I always, at that point, I didn't know what it was, but I just knew that I, I enjoyed it. And so I was complaining, um, to my husband that, I don't know what I want to do. And this is not what I like. And he's like, well, why don't you do what you spend most of your time doing? outside of work. And I was like, well, what does that mean? He's like, well, you're always, you know, watching e-news or reading some magazine or something. You should do something (laughs) like that. And it was just a passing comment. Like it was, and, but a light bulb went off and I decided because again, I'm a big kind of thinker. And so when he said that to me, what I heard was go create your own channel. So I decided I was going to create, um, a channel, which was going to be like the e-news of DC. Now, the reason I settled on DC was because in 2006, I um, went and interned for Cynthia Raleigh. Actually, I was looking for what to do um, in the fashion business. And of course, DC (laughs) is not the fashion capital of the world. Um, And there used to be a website called Fashion Job Central. Oh my gosh, that's a throwback. (laughs) Do you hear me? Fashion Job Central, and there was some anonymous post from some designer who needed help for Fashion Week. And I I saw Fashion Week and designer. I said, sign me up. And I reached out, and it turned out to be Cynthia Raleigh. And I went for an interview in New York, and I remember she's kind. She's so kind. The journey. I remember the PR director looked at me. She looked at me, and then looked at my, and she looked at me, and was just like, this isn't. Internship. Like at this point, mind you, I am a senior consultant working yeah. for a major company. Like I am further along in my career. I'm I'm married at this point. I um have per- I had a home. I mean, I wasn't your typical intern. Um, and I said to her, I'm trying to transition from where I am to go into the fashion industry, but I am a big believer yeah. in starting at the bottom. I want to be able to understand all of the business. Um, and I want to be able to know how to navigate that. And so, um, I, I just want an opportunity to work for a brand and just really be able to understand what's going on. And she was like, okay, well, if you can make it here, um, for two weeks for yeah. you know the week prior to fashion week and then the week of the show, wow. come on. And I was like, say no more. So I got, I came back and I took two weeks off from work <laughs> on vacation. Um, and I had a girlfriend that lived in New York. So I, I, I lived with her. And yeah, I went out to New York. And really the fashion journey began because at the time, Cynthia had all of her business uh, in one building, um, in her downtown building. So production was in the basement. Retail was on the main level. Design was on the second level. Wow. And PR was on the third level. It was, I don't even think, I mean, I don't think, I, I know for a fact Cynthia will not remember me because she saw me in passing a couple of times. Um, but I don't think at the time um, 
the PR director knew how big of an impact that was for me. Because for me, the opportunity to be fully immersed was in- incredibly important. And so I took my time there very seriously. Um, and because I was older and because I was more mature, she would hand me the entire media list, yeah. like seating chart. And I was like, oh my God, I have Anna Wintour's <laughs> email. <laughs> like I have everybody's email, right? Um, no, of course, I never yeah. used it just at the, t- mm-hmm. especially at the time. But the the just the access and the ability, uh, the availability of information and just learning and understanding, um, you know, positions and who gets what and what it what it really illuminated for me also was you know, because sometimes you feel like there's some something, you know, magical behind it's of course, there's talent, there's experience, not to diminish any of that. But if you genuinely want to do this then not having a fashion background or going to fashion school should not deter you. Um, creativity is what it is, and you can apply that across industries. And the biggest blessing for me is when I decided to transition into fashion, I wow. actually applied to FIT. There was a program called Global Fashion Management, and I knew so this was my end. It was yes. one semester in Paris, one semester in one semester in New York. I knew that was it for me. This was going to be my end. I didn't get in. Um, the lady at admissions was really kind. When I called, she said, we received 300 applicants. Wow. Three slots. I remember when that program launched too. And I, I was like, I can't, I was like, I can't afford this. <laughs> I was like just starting out. And I was like, well, you know, maybe one day. <laughs> Listen, I didn't even think. I was like, let me just get in and I'll, I'll figure the rest out. Um, but it was the biggest blessing because one of my biggest hangups and insecurities when I started in the business and in some ways still exists sometimes is that mm. I don't come from a fashion background. And so I always used to joke and say, oh, you know, I didn't have an editor write my recommendation letter or I'm, I didn't get introduced by this person or that person. But what that made me, what that I found later to be my plus was that because I didn't come from the cookie cutter model and having been trained by others as to what things should look like, I approached everything with fresh perspective. And so all my ideas were new ideas, were exciting because I didn't do them the way they were supposed to be done. And that actually became an asset later in life. Um, And so, yeah, I went from, um, I did that with Cynthia actually for two years. So four seasons. Yeah, I would go. And then in the process of that is when I decided I was going to stay in D.C. And partly because I realized that I didn't want to live in New York unless I could live in the lifestyle. Amen to that. (laughs) (laughs) That I wanted to live. Um, And... I, I love DC. I love the balance of DC. I had a family. Um, I didn't have kids at the time, but I just love the balance that DC gave me. And New York was a hop, skip, and a jump away. And so I, at that point, I was like, I, I'm just going to stay here. But if I'm going to stay here and I want to work in fashion, that meant wow. I had to create my own lane. So that's why I ended up creating my company in 2008. Not because I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but only because I wanted to stay in this city. And the only way I could do that was to carve out my own. Wow. I mean, no, no, that was, that was was, uh, like, you know, I actually didn't know about your time 
at Cynthia Rowley. It's it's like I learned something new every day about yeah. you. But that is that is so important. Uh, you know, if you know, if the if the person can afford it, like starting at the bottom and just sort of learning your way up. But you know, you- <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I stayed with friends, <laughs> couch oh, surfing. Oh, no, no, trust me. I, uh, <laughs> The bus, the China bus, yes. was my best friend. Um, was it fifteen dollars? I, I can't remember. Before Megabus, and then I couldn't figure out the New York train systems. And my friend lived; um, she was off on the six, so I would literally take the train all the way to the end of the station oh, and wow. then walk all the way to Soho because I couldn't oh, figure lame. out. Stop and oh, switch. <laughs> Your legs were, your legs are like. <laughs> By the time I was done, I was like, no, thank you. Let me send my little bougie behind so funny. in DC. I cannot with you. I cannot with you. So, you know, you're in DC, you're creating your own lane. You know, back in 2008 yes. or, or 2018, yes. Capital File magazine recognized you as one of DC's most stylish influencers changing the city's fashion scene. So, I mean, how did you personally know that you were making a difference? Like you were making an impact? I did not. I did not. To be perfectly honest, I was really following, especially at that time, I was really just following mm-hmm. my passion. I mean, I, I had a love for DC and, you know, to put some context around this too, 2008, when I started my business was the year of Obama. Hope like it was, the year of hope. it was the year of hope. It was the, do you hear me? It, that, the, the energy in DC was like none other. I mean, I've lived here pretty much my whole life. I mean, it, now, especially I've lived here wow. longer than I've lived anywhere else. Right. Um, and that energy, you could taste it. And there was something just so electric about the city and lifestyle in particular was, Everywhere, yeah. like fashion, art, music. Michelle Obama. That energy was everything. And so I I was really looking at DC through the lens of that. And then I was going to Fashion Week. And it was right before um, uh, Brian Park switched over mm-hmm. to Lincoln Center. And so I remember being at Brian Park the last season of The Tents and just thinking this would be so cool if we had something like this in DC. Like DC is way more stylish than, you know, we give it credit for. And like, we all migrate to New York, but there's all these people who love fashion, who are super creative. And um, I had joined an organization at that time called Fashion Fights Poverty. And I uh, used to be the VP of fashion, uh, of fashion uh, production. So I do all of the, the, um, the fashion shows. I was doing all the. Was that connected at all with Naomi's um, uh, fashion for relief situation? Okay. No, it was not. This was before. This was this was two thousand. Yeah. So I went. To, I started thinking. Oh wow! So, so this was before. 07. Wow. That was before was Arise. Before. That was In before. Fact, wow. All of it. All of it. 
all of it. And at that time, Fashion Fights Poverty was founded by uh, three Washingtonians. Um, and they were focusing on eco and ethical fashion. So everything about FFP was about eco ethical. And this was before yeah. sustainability was a thing. This was before any of that. And they had partnered with the UND. I think it was the UNDP. Um, oh, no, no, the UN Foundation for one of their anniversaries. And so that's how it all kind of began. And so when I came back from Cynthia, I pitched them like, hey, like I just came from Fashion Week. I can do your shows. I can produce events and all of this stuff. And they were like, that, <laughs> come on board. Why not? Um, and so I was wow. with FFP for four years. I was there from 2007 to wow. 2011. Um, and I produced all of the shows over the course of, those four, well, I was there four years, wow. but five years worth of shows. Um, and so I say all of that to you to say that energy in DC at that time was incredible and really fueled a lot of my energy around um, DC. And so I was really active in all things fashion in DC, again, because I couldn't move to New York <laughs> because I didn't want to. Um, and also, <laughs> You know, and, and also I, I um, somebody had dropped some nuggets of wisdom on me at that time and said, do you want to be a big fish in a small pond or a f- small fish in a big pond? And I was like, <laughs> you know what? That is the word. <laughs> um, the whole word. And it changed my perspective, like rather than looking at D.C. as this you know, ugly stepchild of New York, I started seeing it as the small pond that I could be a big fish in. Um, And who are the players and, you know, what are the things that I could do and what relationships could I build? And, um, you know, how can I grow my business? And what did all of that mean? So that's how I really kind of got entrenched in the DC scene. And so I joined um, Fashion Group um, a few years later. Um, and then, you know, I met different people in the industry and we, and built really strong relationships. And so as opportunities would come up, people will call me for things. Um, but between FFP and FGI, between Fashion Fights Poverty and FGI, oh. plus all the things I did. Oh, you're making me, felt, I'm exhausted. Um, I'm exhausted, Elaine. Listen. I wrote the fashion guide, like all of those things I had. I had an anonymous site that nobody knew was me for years what called All Things Fashion DC. Um, <laughs> that was me. Yeah, that was me. You know, it's funny. If I knew influential culture uh, was going to be the next thing, I would have made sure I put my face all over it. <laughs> Back in the day when I was doing the chic incumbent blog, you know, covering fashion and politics, I started off completely anonymous, uh, because, you know, I didn't want people to see my face and then just, you know, come up with all these, like, I, you know, judgments and, um, you know, misconceptions. And it's so interesting because it actually grew rather quickly when they had no idea, you know, who I was. And then all of a sudden I'm like, surprise. And a few folks were like, Hey, I didn't even know. I didn't know this was you. I'm like, yes, I'm a Harper's Bazaar style ambassador. You know, when they have their program, like I was, it it was really interesting to see, but I think that, you know, with all the movements and, you know, a push towards inclusivity and more uplifting, diverse voices, that's less so now, which is good. Yeah. I I mean, I think yes and no. I mean, it's weird because I remember a time where, um, you know, particularly in the beginning of social, uh, beginning of Twitter and bloggers and influencers and that whole era, 
at the time, the way you gained respect in the yeah. industry was experience. It wasn't, it wasn't clout. It wasn't being an influencer. Oh, absolutely. Like, oh, blogger was a dirty <laughs> word. Like, <laughs> blogger. Like, you know, yeah. you are not, you're not it. You are not, um, what's the word I'm looking mm. for? Recognize. You, you just, you didn't do this the right way, right? And so for me, I wasn't trying to be a blogger. Uh-oh. I was trying to build a Uh-oh. media empire. Like, for me, all things, all things was really about, you know, developing a platform that could house. I, I, I envisioned kind of the Love WWD that. of DC, right? And so that was really kind of the blueprint that I used. I mean, at our peak, I had 22 wow. contributors writing. We were posting two to three posts a day. Um, that's even how the fashion guide, um, the fashion source came along because I built and I'd amassed all of these, yeah. uh, all of this data around who was here. And so I really, I really got entrenched um, locally for a really long period of time. And then in 20, um, I would say the big shift happened for me out of DC in 2015 uh-huh. was, cause I did, yeah, that's wow. when I launched the book in 2015. After I, I got done with the fashion source, and what I is kind the of looked at source? everything I'd done in DC. So the fashion source was a guide. Hold on. Oh, I, I, I have my copy. Oh, I have my copy. Oh, you have. I remember that part. That was a yeah. fabulous party. Yes, fabulous you party. You had a fabulous dress on. It was very, you know, it was very chic. Oh, thank you, you know, thank like, you. Girl. <laughs> I, I look at it now, and I'm like, it's I still amazing. can't believe I did this. Um, but, you know, when I would go to Fashion Week in London, I would find uh, they yeah. give you these and even in New York. But the one in London, I really like the most. But they give you these little binders and it had a directory of all the different fashion businesses and um, retailers and PR people. And I was like, we should have one in D.C. Like people don't yeah. know fashion is here. Right. I was really big on advocacy and awareness. And I, I was a strong believer that the reason the D.C. fashion ecosystem hadn't fully grown mm. was because people just didn't know. And so if we, if only we would provide more information because I'm a solutions oriented person. So rather than complain about what we don't yeah. have, I'm like, let me provide it. We need to know it here. Let me do a film. We need to know it here. Let me write a book. We need to know it here. Let me provide a website. Um, but yeah. after I did this in 2015, I, I kind of took a step back and felt like I had tapped out. You know, I, I came to the realization that, DC's fashion was primarily wow. retail. Yes. We are a retail town um, and not necessarily a fashion town. Um, and that was a hard pill yes, to swallow. You were. That was fully invested. Everywhere. Oh my gosh. All in. Fully mm-hmm. invested. All in. Um, and at that point, I decided that I wanted to really explore outside of DC. Um, and I've been doing a few things internationally, particularly when I would go for fashion week, but nothing with full intentionality. Um, and at the end of 2015, I got offered a job uh, funny enough on a whim. I, I went and I spoke, um, on a panel at American university that the new fashion club had put together. This was in November of 2015. And they said to me, hey, we're pitching to our business school a fashion program, but there's just no one to teach it. 
um, to, to even create it, let alone teach it. And I said, well, I'll do it. And the, you know, the guy, the student, he was president no. of the club, was like, really? He was like, do you mind if I tell the dean? And I said, please be my guest. Wow. Um, didn't think much of it. I got a call wow. from the dean in January and said faculty had approved um, this new fashion program at Kogot School of Business um, on wow. fashion and luxury goods. And they don't know where to begin. And so would I be interested? So I went in and I met up with them and they said, listen, this would involve you developing a curriculum, you know, Perfect. building a program. We've never had this before. We don't even know what this is. And oh, by the way, <sighs> it's a travel class. Full circle, full so, circle. What we would, full circle, full circle. So we would like you to take said students, um, wow. pick a capital, and um, partner with AU's Kogod's global uh, program and take these kids wow. out during spring break and taking them to meet brands and, you know, give them that experiential um, learning, if you will. And so I said, Sure, I can do that. Yeah. I can call this one and that one. And this was January. Um, and yeah, two weeks later, I got a contract. Amazing. And class was put on and class started wow. the next month. So we had four weeks of class and then two weeks of travel. Um, and so yeah. I had to pick up the phone. I had to, to leverage my relationships. I had to call and say, hey, can my students come? And, and then on top of that, I had wow. to build a program from scratch that hadn't existed before. And so in 2016, um, my, yeah, 2016, we went to Paris. Um, Love Paris. Took my students to Paris. Yep. And my daughter, I remember my daughter at the time oh was my goodness. two. Uh, you took her. Yeah, she was two and a half. She hadn't even turned. Oh my. Took her with me. As a mother of two toddlers, to I'm just like, my, but I mean, Sage is like, I mean, she's just, I mean. Oh, Sage is everything. She, oh, she had her outfits. <laughs> oh, she was ready. She was like. I love it. Oh, my goodness. Oh, she was, oh, it was everything. She was for it. Um, but it was, you know, it was a challenging time just on a personal note. Also at this point, now I have children or I had a child and I'm trying to balance still being me and, um, you know, wanting to live my dreams and all the things I was passionate about, but now having a baby and having a two year old. And, you know, I was really, I was grateful to my husband for being supportive enough to not just let me go, but let me take her because at the time there was no way I was leaving her behind. Um, and to really have his support and say, Hey, I know you really want to do this. And so that, you know, go ahead and, Oh, I'm going to miss my baby too, but I get it. You know, that type of thing was really, really, really great. Um, but that trip in 2016 was my turning point in going international. Um, because at that point I just, it reminded me that the world was my oyster, that there was just so much more to the fashion industry than just DC. And I had spent at this point, seven, eight years just with kind of tunnel vision. Um, and I didn't want to do that anymore. And so, um, in 2017, mm. my program went to London. Um, and yeah, that, that really was the change. 
But you, I feel like you've been international since the beginning. When when were you working on um, an African city? One of my favorite, one of my favorite oh, shows. Right. Literally, when I discovered it, I, I it may have was it a conversation with you? It may have been. I don't know how I discovered an African city. I'm gonna put it in the show notes um, because I know the season one is free. <laughs> And it just completely, like, I went down the rabbit hole of African fashion when I, when I saw that show, all of the girls looked amazing. They each had their own personalities and it was just like African, I mean, it changed my life. And that's how I discovered Christy Brown because, because of that show, but you, my friend actually worked uh, on that show, like what was your role um, in that, and and that was prior as well, right? Yeah, yeah. This was twenty. That's what I'm like. I'm Actually, like Elaine. Have you have been international oh from the jump. I mean, <sighs> I had, but I just I haven't focused on it as a, a primary mm. part of my business model, if you will. But yeah, I always. I mean. Partially because I was from the continent and because I traveled so much as a child, um, I always had relationships um, internationally. I just hadn't, I, for whatever reason, I just committed so hard uh, to DC for such a long period of time. But yeah, in 2011, um, the creator of an African city, Nicole, is it, a friend of mine. And we, she was here at the time. She was working at the World Bank and, you know, we would, you know, meet up for lunch. And I remember we went to, um, uh, founding farm, uh, yeah, founding farmers, uh, by the bank. And she was like, Elaine, like I've wow. written this pilot and I really, I want to shoot it. Um, and it's the story. It's kind of like the African sex in the city. Um, and I remember us sitting down at lunch talking about it and I was and so excited. And she was talking about, you know, considering moving back. And, um, and again, this was 2011. So it wasn't like there was like a mass yeah. exodus necessarily year of the return and all of this stuff that's happening now had not happened then. So it was a big risk for her. She was working at the, at the world bank, which is a, you know, prestigious place to work. And, um, our father's, um, um, knew each other and my father was at the World Bank at the time um, also. And so it just was like one of those things wow. where it's like you're at the perfect place and, you know, this is what we go to college for. And, um, you know, we had a conversation about it and she's like, I want to shoot a pilot. And I bet, let me know what you need, when you need, how you need. She's like, will you style this pilot for me? Absolutely. Uh, and I remember that was a I have brand. Chills. And I, I have to chills look for them because, because they, you know, how much that Listen. show means to me. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. And, it, and, it, and it did a lot. It, I mean, it meant a lot to a lot of people. I mean, Arise had happened yeah. in 08, 09. And that was kind of the first big explosion, if you will, into African fashion really being a, a part of the luxury conversation. Um, but I think an African city really helped elevate the idea that it could be modernized. It could be... Um, Yes. It could be every day, and that this is how African women diaspora, across, yeah. you know, the country, yeah, you know, dressed and looked and lived. And granted, it was about expats who, or not necessarily expats, but it's about you know first generationers or returnees, if you will. But nonetheless, it gave a glimpse into kind of what fashion really could be and what that looked like. So yeah, in 2011, we shot the pilot wow. here actually in DC. 
originally, yeah, with uh, the five actresses. Um, of them, only two of them actually ended up being main characters that stayed, and they recasted when the show went back to Ghana, uh-huh. or should I say, went to Ghana to to film because they had to re they had to reshoot it. But yeah, we shot the pilot here. I saw it's closed. Um, from all over the place. There was one brand in particular called Boxing Kitten. I'll never forget. They did a patchwork um, skirt that I saw in 2011. And I was like, because in Ghana, we would do patchwork all the time and didn't think anything of it. And she was the first one. I need to look her up now. I don't even think she realizes how much she was impactful in this kind of shift. And she's if I'm not mistaken, she's first generation as well. And, or like half, like one of her parents was African, but she'd never wow. been to Africa at that time anyway. Um, but just was so influenced by the print and come up with this. And so, yeah, yeah. I styled that first shoot um, in 2011 and then um, Nicole moved to Ghana Ugh. in 2012. I'm going to put in the and show notes. I'm putting in the, the show. One of the best shows yeah. like ever. <laughs> <laughs> we shot the show and everything. And yeah, I, and it's funny to this day. I still have the original um, uh, character notes wow. and all of the uh, the original pilot script and all of that stuff. Because you know, the hey, Nicole and I that stuff. So we, knew we need we to, to do another that. season. Yeah. <laughs> I'm putting it out there. It was great. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, she well, moved on now and she's doing bigger and I better I still love things. an African you know, city, though. I, it's still one of my it's faves. Awesome. I would yeah. love to see, like, season three or, or I don't know, an African city, I the know. movie. Just putting it out there, Nicole. Just putting it right? out there. So, so <laughs> you know, you decide to open up your own showroom. What, what, like, yeah, so wait, yeah, wait, like, so you're based here, I know, and then you're like, something, you know, what I'm gonna, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna open up my showroom. Where was, like, what was the inspiration for that? And what has that process been like for you? So, I've always wanted to open a showroom. It's funny, I was looking through when I moved, I, I moved, um right before COVID in late 2019. And I found all of my old notebooks um, from when I started my business. And one of the things I, and my, my, my business used to be called Svelte and then it was Brand Meets Creative, um, which Brand Meets Creative still exists, but now I have showroom, et cetera, where we focus exclusively on um, African brands and fashion and luxury. But um, I remember when I moved, I found my old notebooks and on one of them I had, um, it was called a Svelte showroom. And I remember looking at it thinking, this has always been, I've always wanted to do this. Um, I just, for one reason or the other, I would start and stop. I I remember even one time uh, collaborating with um, one of the founders from FFP and was like, okay, maybe we should do the showroom together. Um, And it wasn't this showroom that I'm doing now, but a showroom. And we even went and looked at spaces in DC, and all of that. And it just kind of fell through and um, I would put it on the back burner. So every year I do kind of like a, not a vision board, but I write down all the things that I want to accomplish. And every year since 2007, maybe a showroom was on my list and I would just 
push it to the back burner. Uh, maybe not this year. Maybe not that year. Um, there, are, oh, there are a few things on my list: a showroom, a restaurant. Um, yeah, there are a couple things that you know. Some, I mean, sometime you're down a great the line, cook, so, and I know you got some ideas in terms of some recipes, <laughs> y'all. She can cut, you know, she can throw down. Yeah, <laughs> has been on my list, and I, um, yeah, I, I. I, I always knew I wanted to do it. I, I didn't know it's going to be what it is now. Um, but the real impetus for showroom, et cetera, was in late in 2019 really was for me, I went through like a major spiritual shift. I mean, I've always been religious um, and I'm a Christian and I've always been a Christian. We, you know, <laughs> we, we, you know we grow up that way, but I had a major, major spiritual shift where I completely withdrew from everything that I knew. And I felt it was really important for me to figure out what does God want me to do? Like, how does he want me to live my life? And what is truly my purpose? Because I've done so many things and met so many people and um, had so many interactions, but I still felt like I was stagnant. Like I wasn't moving forward and I wasn't um, kind of doing the things that I needed to do. My business wasn't growing. Um, and I just had a baby in 2018. And so I had some postpartum issues as well. And it was just like, 2019 was just like a crash of all of my world. And I just needed space. Um, and I needed the ability to just really think and, and just be still and really figure out like, what does God want for my life? And that was actually the wow. year I got off of social. Um, I think the last time I posted to my personal social account was wow. December of 2019. Um, and I decided that I, I watched a sermon series by Mike, Michael Todd called Planted Not Buried. And it literally changed my life. And it changed um, how I viewed like life and, and my purpose and just my communication and interaction with God. And so I realized I was in a season of being planted, but I was looking at that from mm. the lens of being buried because being planted and being yeah. buried look the uh -oh. same, right? Uh -oh. You <laughs> go in it. <laughs> yeah. Cover it up. Wow. Right? It look the same. And if you don't have the right perspective, you will take your season of being planted and assume it's your, your season of being buried. I, I am adding that to the show notes, <laughs> and I think I will refer to that uh, that video uh, this afternoon. Wow. Yeah, it, it literally was, it changed my life. And, and it changed my life in more ways than one. I lost a lot of relationships and friendships in that year. Um, most really due to my account, right? Because I, I couldn't articulate mm. why I needed the space. I just knew I couldn't do what I was doing before. I couldn't have the same relationships. I couldn't have the same conversations. I couldn't share kind of the thoughts and in the plans and the goals and because I was still trying to figure it out. And I really needed um, to detach because what I had learned about myself in the years leading up to this was that I had slowly over the years developed a codependency mm. on my tribe to wow. validate my vision. And I needed to detach from said tribe to trust and wow. hear my own voice again. And it, I can articulate it now, but wow. at the time I did not have the words. All I knew is 
I didn't want anybody else's opinion. I needed to be able to trust my gut again. I needed to be able to have an idea, execute it without calling 50 million people to say, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Podcasts are awesome. And I know you love them too, or you wouldn't be here right now. But have you ever thought about starting your own? Don't worry, you don't have to be a techie, but you do need a bit of guidance so you don't make costly mistakes. My name is Sunny, and I've been podcasting for a long time. I've launched more than 15 profitable podcasts, and I'm the founder of the Independent Podcast Network. My online course, How to Launch Your Profitable Podcast in 30 Days, gives you the keys to the five P's of podcasting, which is everything you need to launch and grow a successful podcast. You get unlimited access to more than 35 videos and dozens of handouts. And when you purchase my course, you're also supporting this awesome podcast because they're getting 50% of the money when you use their special link. How cool is that? Let me help you get started with your podcast. Go to podcastsareawesome.com slash fashion. That's podcastsareawesome.com slash fashion. It's so funny you're bringing this up because I'm reading a book right now called You're Not Crazy, You're Just Codependent. (laughs) And it talks about, it talks about codependency and not just in the um way of like hey you know i need someone to you know like but just the different yeah. even like subconscious ways that we view our own yes. thoughts and and you know validation is a major part of it but it goes beyond just like people it can be like things it can be and and it's so interesting that's one of the things I've always admired about you, and I, it's so funny that you you recognize that and you're like, oop, it's got to go, is that you've always, like, you've always focused on your goal, you've had the vision, and you weren't really concerned what people were doing in the industry or, you know, here or there. It always seemed like you were in your own world. So even when you're like, hey, I'm not a fashion person. I'm like, yes, you are. Like you, I feel like it's either in you or it's not. No matter where, where you are, you could be here. You could be in Timbuktu. You could be in Wisconsin. If you're a fashion person, you're a fashion person. But, you know, like you, you were never that type to compare yourself or, you know, oh, you know, just you've always had tunnel vision. So I think it's great that you were able to identify that and just be self-aware enough to say, hey, like I got to clear out for a minute. Yeah. I do. And, you know, it's interesting. I don't have a large circle, a large personal circle for that reason. But the people that are in my circle, I realize I've mm. given them so much power. Right. And they didn't ask for it. So it's not anything they did, you know. Um, but I had literally turned over responsibility of my life wow. uh, to everybody else. You know, to my husband, to my family, to my tribe. Like, you know, it, well, if they made the decision, then if it didn't mm. work out, it's okay. Oh, wow. Right. If they made the decision, um, then they would steer me right that I wouldn't make these mistakes. And really, what I was living wow. in is a cycle of fear. That's um, so and deep. Prior to that, I, I oh my god, my brain know, is so deep. <laughs> yeah, the work, the work. It's it's it, it's work because I really had to take ownership and stop 
of why I hadn't achieved the things I wanted to achieve or why my business wasn't doing what I needed it to do or, you know, did I want to now be a stay-at-home mom and take care of my kids and just commit to that? Did I want to go back to corporate? Did I want to to continue down this entrepreneurial path? Like, what was it for me? And in the midst of all of that, who is Elaine? You know, what are her boundaries? What does she like? What doesn't she like? And um, I was, you know, we had some some family things as well. I just moved. It just was a lot. And it really required that time and space. Um, And showroom was birthed out of that time. It was birthed out of that time. I remember in 20, yeah, so uh, 2019. So by the end of 2019, and I and then I went just on a physical journey. I was like, I have had baby weight Ooh, on my body for that baby weight. Years. It's no joke, I, y'all. I <laughs> really get rid of because yeah, I gained like 80 pounds, girl. You know, I know the struggle. <laughs> 80 pounds, you y'all. Me, it is real. <laughs> And it's consistent. And I really was like, this was the year I was going to take responsibility for my life. Like, this is not a dress rehearsal. It's the only life I get. One time. That's it. And I am a reflection to my children of how to live. Because my daughter had once said to me, she said, Mommy, I want to be just like you when I grow up. Right? Which is cute. Oh, she's like, yeah, I want to, I only want to stay home and watch my babies. Oh, my Wow. Right. Not now, a bad thing. That's not, not a, bad a bad thing. thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's your choice. But that wasn't my choice. That that was my circumstance and my season wow. by choice. But my my drive and my energy and everything that I'd worked towards, I realized she had never seen wow. me at my best or what I perceived to be my best. She had never seen me on the go. She had never seen me like working and doing all of these things and like about my business. She'd never seen that. She'd only seen the mommy me that was schlepping around that hair was a mess that, you know, (laughs) didn't have it together. That was just barely making it. That was just going day by day and didn't care how I looked and didn't care how I, that's the only me she knew. And it was a light bulb for me. Like, I'm not living this life just for me anymore. I'm living this life now for her. And Joe, she needs shout to out be to Joe. To <laughs> I know. <laughs> I love Joe. It's the cutest, you guys. <laughs> They're both just <laughs> adorable. <laughs> Joe wasn't a wasn't on my radar yet. I mean, and, and he was a boy and I, I don't know, for some reason, you know, the girl, yeah. the mirroring thing was really big for me. Um, but yeah, really that was, a, that, that was really the, the real change, the light switch for me. And I knew, okay, that this was like 2018. This was like, yeah, we was right before we moved and I realized now nah, something's got to change. So by the time I got into 2019, I was fully there at the end of 2019. Um, typically, you know, the new year, new vision, all of this stuff. I'd never done a vision board before. And I thought, well, maybe I should, you know, I should do one. And so I can, uh, yeah, the whole affirmations thing and, you know, why, what you put out and all of that type of stuff. Um, and I had an epiphany, which was that God had already given me so many things. Like when I go back and I look at notes, ideas, businesses, things that he wanted me to do, um, in my own spiritual journey, I realized that I hadn't executed the wow. things he'd already given me, you know? And so in 2020, 
I looked at my board. I wrote down, I literally took a sheet and I wrote down every idea that God had ever given me. Um, And then I checked off the things that I had done. And then the things I hadn't done, I looked at it and I said, God, I am not going to ask you for anything new until I execute everything on this list. So instead of my year of 2020 being, um, you know, what's my vision? You know, what's my purpose? It's a new year. I'm like, nah, my goal for 2020 is just wow. execute what God gave me. It's the parable of the five, the two, and the one. I'm like, when, when Jesus comes, I don't want God to say, what did you wow. do with the five that I gave you? And me to say, or I should say, I want him to say, what did you do with the five? And me to say, here's my 10, right? And ask the guy, what did you do with the two? He says, here's my four. I did not want to be the guy who had one. And instead of bringing back two, but went and buried it. Because that's really what I was doing, was just burying the gifts that he'd given me. And I was like, I do not want my gifts taken away and given to the person who who had the five and the person who had the two. So if all that meant was that I would have a, a, um, a PowerPoint slide up, I would put together a brand kit, I would map out a website, and nothing ever came of it. I can tell God, I wow. you gave it, here it is. That's how showroom was birthed. In January of 2020, I literally felt in my spirit that God wanted me to do this. And I'm thinking, and I remember having this conversations with, with him saying, I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm No, real talk. I mean, you're I, not I, I in the fashion I, district I, in New York. You're not in Paris. And <laughs> the wow. of everything I wasn't and everything I didn't have. Uh, and he was like, and <laughs> so I was like, That's okay. Wild. And then okay. I the- okay, like I'm glad that you feel this way, but yeah. I don't know what you want me to do with that. Yeah. See, that's how I, I love it. That. Um, so I brushed it off, didn't think much of it. And literally for like a couple of weeks, it was like, are you going to do the showroom? Are you going to do the showroom? Now, mind you, in the midst of that, I had had, a, he dropped something else on my spirit. He said, how about you revisit Fashion Group? I was like, what? How would I? <laughs> Been there, oh, done uh, that. Would, yeah. They've done that. I'm not doing that again. And then I was, he was like, no, how about you do FGI Africa? Why don't you pitch them in FGI Africa? Right? And I was like, mm, yeah. Because that. So long story short, I reached out, I pitched it, they loved it. Um, but you know, God, God does what he does for a reason because the deck that I put together to pitch became the foundation wow. of my why for showroom. Wow. I didn't even realize at the time. Now, granted, FGI Africa didn't end up happening yeah. because, of course, COVID happened. Can't do everything, it. You know, kind of fell apart and, and maybe we'll revisit it one day. So I don't even know if we're talking <laughs> about it, but it is what Down it is. here. Um, <laughs> but but um, I wow. went forward with showroom anyway. I built a 10-page deck. That I look at it now and I cringe because <laughs> it was so basic. Girl, it's never basic it with you. Just, no, no. I'm telling you, 
And it yeah. looked pretty, but it literally was just the vision. And it was a reminder that when God says, you know, write the vision down and make a plain, that's really what they mean. Just write it down. It doesn't have wow. to make sense to anybody else but you. Um, and I started thinking about who would I want to represent and who do I want to work with and what would showroom look like and, you know, what what services will we provide and what's doable in this season? And I, I created a database um, and I started like looking at different people, different brands, different info. I put them in different sections. And in March, I just started wow. cold emailing. Hey, my name is Elaine and, you know, I am a, you know, brand strategist and luxury consultant. This is what I do. And I'm working on this project called Showroom, et cetera, and da, 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 And I'd love to meet you. Um, and of the first 20 or so I sent wow. out, I got five responses back. That's great. Right. Which from a percentage percentage was great. Um, and what I started doing was scheduling meetings. I would just schedule meetings, not to pitch them to be mm-hmm. in showroom, but to build relationships. Um, one of the things that I believe is my biggest, is one of my biggest gifts is the ability to build relationships. Um, I care more about relationships than money um, because relationships to me are the currency that will last farther, longer, harder than any amount of money. Um, And I'm also a big believer and a proponent of meeting people where they are and never assuming somebody's beneath you. Somebody's position is beneath you. Or like, you know, if I want to meet, I don't know, if I wanted to meet Anna Wintour or I wanted to meet whoever, that her assistant is beneath me. Well, she's her assistant today. right. You don't know what she's going to be tomorrow. You know? So for me, relationship building on every level is extremely important. And I decided, well, here's COVID. I'm like, God, you want me to start the showroom, which I have started. I have put myself out there and COVID hits. And which means no travel, no meetings, no anything, no infrastructure, no physical showroom, none of that stuff. How is this going to work? Um, and WhatsApp became my best friend and I started reaching out and I started meeting people. And there was one brand in particular, which was Christy Brown, which I had loved and for years. And I knew, I knew the designer. I knew I should just, you know, in, in, in social circles, we knew, we knew each other. So I knew where to go, but I loved and respected the brand so much that I only wanted to reach out to them when I knew I was fully ready. Um, and so she was amongst the brands I reached out to and, and, you know, I called her and we scheduled a time we got on the phone and she was like, Oh my gosh, perfect timing. Cause we're actually looking to expand wow. into North America as well. And it would be great. And it just, the conversation went really well. Um, and then I didn't hear from her for a while. Um, and you know, again, I didn't think much of it in the process. I actually, um, signed on another client, um, through a a mutual friend. And at this point showroom had, we started, we were going. Um, and then I get a call from Aisha, uh, two days before her spring summer 2020 collection and says, Hey, we're doing a virtual collection, uh, a virtual launch of this collection. We want to have five or six people who intimately know the brand to come on our live and be a part of this conversation. Wow. Would you be willing to do it? Absolutely. Mind you, I've been planted. So I was gone. Like oh, I hadn't yeah. been on social. That was I like been the unveiling. <laughs> I was like, you know, for wow. a year. Um, and I was really 
nervous because I didn't know if yeah. I was ready to come back yet, you know? Um, but I thought it's one live, you know, I'll be on maybe five minutes. Who's, I mean, maybe somebody will see me, but who's going to see me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Almost everybody I knew in the industry who had some intersection with fashion. Of course. Hit me on a DM or on a chat. Exactly. And all of that. But I say all of this to you to say um, that showroom, you know, I I couldn't have anticipated what it has become in such a short period wow. of time. I had a vision. I knew what God wanted me to do. I expected it to be way further down the line. Um, I did not expect all that has happened um, and it's happening um, with the brand uh, or with the company to be what it is. When I started Showroom, it was really meant to represent brands in African fashion um, and luxury. What Showroom has now become is a a full-service agency and a multi-brand showroom that is dedicated to redefining how the world experiences African fashion. Wow. So not just anymore about the show, the physical showroom the showroom for us now is really, it's mm. a mindset, not a place, right? If you think about it, the purposes of showrooms are to spotlight, to highlight, to showcase the best of who and what you are. So that's what we do at showroom, et cetera. We highlight the best of who our brands are and the best of what they do, but we're not a physical place. So um, a lot of times people expect mm-hmm. like an actual showroom. Um, it's a new day now. now. It's, you know, COVID, it's a new day. You got to figure it out. You got to figure something else out. All the way. And it's been amazing um, working with the brands that we've worked with. But at the same time, it's also been amazing now for us to be a gateway and a conduit for corporations and for media entities to now connect to the continent as well. So now we're facilitating wardrobe and costume. Are you working for with Ruth? On like HBO Listen, Ruth, Ruth, if you hear this, Ruth, are you calling? Are you calling Elaine? I'm like, you better, you better call me on the three way. I'll be quiet. I promise. (laughs) But but you're doing coming to a Um, coming to America press. What's going on? Like, were, were some of your clients pulled for the movie? Well, not for the movie, but for um, the the press tour. Press Mm -hmm. tour. I love the press tour. Yeah, but not not for the movie. Um, and it's really exciting. I think, you know, what I'm finding, particularly as I'm dealing with more stylists, both the stylist side and the costume designer side is they want, you know, to work with African brands. Um, a lot of them have just yeah. never experienced them before. And for showroom, us being that conduit and us being stateside has been really helpful because they can get, yes. you know, pieces quickly and um, you know, nope. they don't have to do international oh shipping and they don't have to do all the logistics that we deal with um with our clients. So it's been it's been fun. And what I've loved too is that I've gotten to represent a plethora of brands um in the entertainment space that I wouldn't probably have otherwise done had I been a traditional showroom and or a traditional agency. So we're kind of carving our own path. People ask me all the time, like, oh, you do PR. And I'm like, well, yeah, I, I, you can say that, but we're not a publicity heavy shop. I mean, that's really 
not what we do. Like all of the publicity we provide for our clients have a direct financial return on that investment. So, you know, we do clippings and stuff, of course. So like we did a recent shoe um, for Vanity Fair cover that's coming up and, um, you know, we do stuff like that. But the focus is really more for me, um, for showroom and for my clients. It's really about global brand growth. It's about scaling. It's about strategic partnerships. It's about collaborations. It's about allowing us to be a part of the mainstream. I am a big believer that we can walk and chew gum at the same time. So, um, you know, of course we're all black everything because that's who we are, but I want to be a part of mainstream. I want my brands to be a part of mainstream. I want you to see them on everyday shows. So uh, one of my brands is being, um, is going to be coming up in the good doctor, which is a, like a regular about medical field, right. It has nothing to do with what you would consider to be a fashion, um, show. Why not? But Why not? Right. Because we do more than just the print. I love it. Um, and the print is, but there's just so much more and so much depth um, to the brands on the continent. So yeah, we do fashion, we do lifestyle, uh, yes. we do arts and culture. Uh, we work um, with some museums on some really interesting projects coming up. Oh, you're busy. Uh, corporate brands. Oh, you're busy. <laughs> oh yeah, we're busy. I'm like, so, well, thanks for taking my calls good. during the week away. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. Your schedule is crazy. No, no, oh my God. Well, you know, this is a fashion moment and we ask all of our yes. guests and, and I'm sure you have a million, but yes. what is one of your favorite fashion moments of all time? It could be personal, Ooh. something that you experienced growing up in your life, professional, or even something that you've witnessed and why? My goodness, that is something that had an an impact where you were just inspired, or it was just truly magical for you. Yeah, huh? I have to think about that. I have a few moments that have been really um, defining for me. Um, but I'm trying to think, what would I say? Is my oh, it could, it could be one, moment. like one of the many, but one that comes to mind for you. I don't know. What that's the, a, yeah, that's a, a harder question than I thought. Fashion I thought moment. about this in advance. Hey. It's a fashion moment. I should have I'm sorry. It's my bad. My bad. And um, and you know, John and Rebecca, we can we I can cut we can back. snip this out a little bit. We can snip this yes, out. Yes, please. <laughs> Just a little bit. Um no, the reason I say that is to say I, I feel like I'm gonna hate the one I'm about to say because it's not really my moment or a moment. Well, no, it's not really my moment. It was just a moment, and it just but no, it's no, it not doesn't have to moment, be the so moment. Like, it's just like one of the many moments, like because I know there's so many, especially for fashion folks. There are a few. I'm trying to or just one, one that, that just super, comes to mind. Um, well, okay, I, this one, this one was pretty good. I, um, as I mentioned, I worked. Uh, I was with FGI for a long time. And one of the benefits about being with FGI um, was that we have these books and every year it's a directory and it has everybody who's a member of FGI in the book. And the first year I was going to London for fashion week, I went through the book and I scrolled through 
and I reached out to almost everybody in that, in the London, um, who was part of the London membership. And I introduced myself and I said, I was coming to uh, London for fashion week and I'd love to connect. And of the people I reached out to one person reached out to me who's still a dear friend to this day. His name is Morris Mullen and he's the head of fashion and luxury for the London Evening Standard. And Morris reached out to me. He responded to my message and was like, oh my gosh, you know, it'd be a pleasure to meet you when you come to London. We scheduled a date and a time to meet. Um, And I was just so excited. Like he responded to little old me, right? And I get to Somerset House. So Somerset House was, was, well, the British Fashion Council just moved. Um, couple weeks ago, but they were at Somerset House. So Somerset House was like the tents. Um, and we agreed to meet at the front gates of Somerset House. Um, it's 2011, I'll never forget. I get there and I mean, fabulous man shows up, you know, and, and Morris is um, Irish, I believe. So he's, he has a British accent, but has a slightly like Irish twist. He's in a full length, purple um I don't even know what to call it coat he had a brooch his shoes were impeccable his hair was together he had his bag slash you know it was, at that time bandage went there, but oh it was a whole goodness. merch I mean just now amazing I walk up to him and he goes Elaine and he gives me the biggest warmest hugs and it's like so you may not know this but I'm also on the uh board of a British fashion council and I happen to let them know that you were coming to town so here's every <gasps> fashion show ticket oh fashion week and you will be my personal escort for the week but that's only if that's okay with you like I hope I didn't overstep oh my god wait why did I get like a visual of him being like the fashion, like a fashionably chic Willy Wonka showing you like the factory, well, like everything. taking you in yes. and then pure yes. imagination yes. is just going yes. off in my head. Like when you walked in, <laughs> if you want to do paradise, you know, like, wow. And he, he literally my, one of my dearest, dearest friends in the fashion industry, even to this day. But he was like, Americans never come here. Like, you're one of the few people that ever reach out. Wow. I was like, really? Yeah. I, I, I refuse to believe that. He's like, yeah. You know, it's it's always like Paris. New York. Milan. And then Paris, Milan. Fair. And then London. Fair. Right? And so... Whereas I love London. London Fashion Week is literally one of my favorites because the focus is really on the craftsmanship and the design. And when I say he took me under his wing for the week, we went to every show. We were, um, he would introduce me to people. He was like, oh, this is a I love it. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Was it not the chicest intro you've ever heard? It was amazing. And and, and actually that's where... um, uh, the wow. politics of fashion was born because we were sitting at lunch in between one of the shows and I was looking through this magazine and it had written, there was a little itty bitty column that said fashion films were wow. fashion's new frontier. And I had a light bulb because I was talking to him about DC fashion and what was relevant and all of this stuff. And I was like, 
we don't have that. This would be the time to document that. So yeah, that's probably one of my, definitely on my top 10, if not top five fashion moments, because it really redefined for me um, my position in the fashion industry um, and my desire to really kind of build and grow. And um, it was a pivotal, pivotal uh, kind of turning point for me. Um, And when I decided to go back international, of course, you know, Morris was the first one I called. And um, every time I go to London, we get together. And when he comes, he came to DC to visit for the first time. And I took him around. I was pregnant with Joe. And yeah, I took him around DC for the first time. We spent two days together and just went around. Gallivant, take around Georgetown. Listen, it's not it's not London. I told him I was like, but yeah, that was that was probably that moment of walking up to him at the front of Somerset House and him just embracing me and then just handing me all of these invitations to all of these shows. And it's like you'll be my you'll be my plus one, you'll be my guest Uh, for the week. Okay. Uh, on my list post um post pandemic to check out London. Okay, yeah. London, you are on the list, London. Oh, it's, a must. it's a must. It is a must. Wow. One of my favorite cities. Yeah, I've only been there One a couple of, of times. Yeah. And yeah, so much has changed. Yeah. So I definitely need to to yeah. revisit. That is amazing. I can't wait to go back. I can't wait for COVID to be over. I I need to get hop on a plane <laughs> like yesterday. None of us are going to be home after this is over. I mean, it's just <laughs> no. I think the travel. Industry yeah, I hope I hope y'all are getting ready because the phones are going to be off the hook. But Elaine, you are such a treasure. Thank you so much for sharing your journey, you and you're always welcome Thank back. Obviously. You. And I'm just so excited to see, like, everything that's basically happening and going to happen for showroom, et cetera, and all of your other projects. I mean, who? I mean, who knows? Who knows what next next month, next year? I mean, who knows with you? There's always something amazing. So thank you, thank you for being so open uh-huh. and and transparent with us and and sharing. Thank you so much for having me. And I I just want to say I'm so proud of you for just stepping out and, you know, launching a fashion moment. It's not easy to kind of take a thought and just, you know, really execute it. And I'm so super proud of you. And I am honored to be on here because, as I said to you, I can say I was a fashion (laughs) moment OG. Thank you very much. (laughs) Once a fashion OG, always a fashion OG. It's beyond this show. Beyond this show. (laughs) I love it. Well, thank you so much, Elaine. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks so much for joining me for this week of a fashion moment. If you like what you hear, we'd love for you to join our community of listeners and spread the word about the show. We also want to hear from you. Share your favorite fashion moments and dream guests with us by sending an audio clip or email to a fashion moment podcast at gmail.com 
or you can tag us on Instagram at a fashion moment and you could be featured on next week's episode. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review and let us know what you think. Until then, see you next time for another fashion moment. Podcast production by Rebecca Rashid and John Taylor Williams. Digital media production by Megan Porras. This recording carries a Creative Commons 4.0 international license. Thanks to Patrick Patrickios for their song, Hot Coffee.